Welcome to the Girl Gang Conversations, a podcast that's all about connection, sisterhood, and having conversations that matter. I'm your host, Sarah Stars, and every week I speak to inspiring women about the nitty-gritty of how they live with passion and purpose. We dive deep into our journeys, the obstacles we've overcome, our dreams, what's working for us, and what isn't. We're totally honest about what we're learning, what our daily rituals look like, and what we're struggling with. We don't shy away from the hard stuff, and we really go into it all. Spirituality, personal development, magic, routines, career, friendship, relationships, sexuality, and so much more. The most powerful two words in the English language are, me too, and it's my hope that these conversations help us all feel less alone. This isn't about preachy self-help or self-improvement. It's about self-acceptance and talking about the things that matter to us. Hello, and welcome to The Girl Gang Conversations, episode 79. You can access all of the show notes for this episode at Sarah Stars, that's S-T-A-R-R-S, sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 79. Today's interview is with Amanda Duarte. Amanda is the creator and host of the monthly show Dead Darlings, in which artists present work they've had to cut or abandon. She co-created the meme and movement Pussy Grabs Back, is the co-host of the new Cafe.com podcast Girl Friday, and is a regular at comedy and storytelling events throughout NYC. Amanda and I do a fair bit of ranting about American politics in this episode, but we also talk about what she's learned about the creative process from hosting Dead Darlings, how we can take tangible action towards political change, and turning off the news as an act of self-care. Hey, Amanda, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Sarah? Really good. Thank you. Really excited to have you here today. And the way. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for being here. (laughs) The way that I love to kind of get to know people a little bit right off the bat before we start talking about, you know, all the incredible things that you do and your journey and your thoughts on life. Um, it's just to hear about a typical day in your life. And I think this doesn't really exist for anyone and especially not someone who's doing as many things as you, but are there routines or rituals that anchor your day? (laughs) Um, it's funny. You should ask that because I was just this morning, like dragging myself through several of them and thinking like, I need an assistant. Like I can't do all these things every day. Uh, and of course, you know, like I would have to pay an assistant in like, um, you know, gravel collected from the street. Um, (laughs) So I, uh, let's see, boy, I, boy, every day, pretty much I wake up at either five or five thirty, um, because I'm a cat owner, which I do not recommend. I do not <laughs> recommend. <laughs> cat owner. I found my cat. Uh, he was two, a two week old, uh, one eyed, uh, kitten, like oh. abandoned by its mother and close to death in the park. Uh, I found him eight years ago and, um, never intended to keep him, took him to the vet thinking I'll get him cleaned up and then give him a home, you know, find him a home. And the, the vet looked at me and was like, you know, that this cat will be put down immediately anywhere you take it, like any shelter, like cause of the eye and the health problems and stuff. And so the vet started selling him to me really hard being like, you've got a new cat. Aren't you lucky? <laughs> and, uh, oh, he's great. He's going to be so affectionate because he's so little and feral and male. And like, I think what the vet and I, and this is a recurring theme in my life what the vet and I consider to be affection. Um, I think we both have very different ideas of what that word means. So this cat, um, tortures me every day, starting at five o'clock in the morning, usually. Uh, so I get up and feed him, uh, you know, to make sure that I reward and reinforce the behavior that I don't like. (laughs) And he literally is crawling up to me right now while we're talking. Um, because I haven't paid attention to him in five minutes. Uh, and then I feed my dog and, um, take her for a walk. And then I start, uh, my day on the computer of just like trying to smash the patriarchy um and that takes um different forms every day like I do do a lot of different things and uh I it it can it's fun because I have um like I get bored fairly easily and uh if my like I've had 
jobs. I've had long stretches of my life where I've done, you know, pretty much the same thing every day. I've worked a bunch of, uh, uh, survival jobs that were incredibly unfulfilling and very repetitive. Um, I've, I, I, you know, I've worked in offices and that didn't last for very long. Uh, cause I just absolutely don't have the temperament to have a set schedule and get up and sit at a desk every day. I just physically can't do it. Um, and then I have had restaurant jobs where I've worked, you know, punishing double shifts as a waitress and bartender and all these things. So I, I can't, I, I can't really do one thing all the time, uh, without, I don't know, getting very stale at it. So I do a lot of different things. Um, I do, I write, um, I write in different forms. Like just yesterday, uh, I finished up a first draft of a play that, um, my, one of my writing partners and I are working on, um, and we had a reading of it yesterday that went very well. It was a, uh, <laughs> it's a just a completely um, hypothetical theoretical play about uh, a feminist who writes uh, incendiary things online and gets rape and death threats uh, and is being haunted by the specter of a giant orange mouth uh, that says <laughs> racist and sexist things and is starting to gain power in a very mysterious way. Um, so yesterday I worked on that. Um, there are days where I'm working on, uh, I do my, I, I co-host a podcast, um, called Girl Friday, uh, which is wonderful with, uh, a terrific woman named Erin Gloria Ryan. Uh, and we do it through, uh, cafe.com. And, uh, so there are days where I'm prepping for that. There are days where, uh, I also do voiceover for commercials. <laughs> and so there are days where I'm doing that. Uh, most days I have a couple of auditions for voiceover jobs. Um, I don't know. What else do I do? I feel like I'm always cleaning something. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it feels like it never ends. Um, and yeah, I don't know what else. I mean, if you're asking whether I work out, um, I do not. If that's like part of the question, Sarah. If <laughs> well, like... it's not, but I mean, I guess that is part of some people's routines. It's not part of mine either. Yeah. No, if you're asking me whether I participate in physical activity on a regular basis, I do not. Um, I I would say most days there's a an eBay auction uh, check-in uh, at some point in the day. And then, um, yeah, just like making sure all my friends are still alive, touching base with all my friends, making sure they haven't been deported or, uh, you know, put in, in prison for being homosexuals or, you know, make sure they haven't died from having illegal abortions. Yes. <laughs> That's so funny. Or, or that they haven't died for like, like one of my friends has cancer and, uh, we're just, and she's going through treatments right now. And we're just really hoping her medical insurance, uh, hangs in until the end of her treatment so that she doesn't die. Yeah. God. Scary. Yeah is a really great place to be right now sorry the united states that's i i always i always fuck that up especially because you're canadian i'm sure you're very sensitive to this that uh you know america is a continent and not a country i'm not very sensitive to it but oh, okay. uh, but people are people always be like oh like what part of america are you from I'm like oh i'm canadian they're like oh my god i'm so sorry I'm like so not, not offended i grew up like two and a half hours from the detroit border like I sound how, you know, lots of Americans would sound. It's yeah. all good. So I would love to hear more about the Dead Darling show too and, and what inspired you oh, to start yeah, that God, project. I, I talk about that. God. Um, so, yeah, it's so um, it's so fun and great and it's really uh, chugging along and uh, it keeps seems to keep picking up steam, which is very exciting. Uh, I started – uh, it's a, it's a monthly show that I host here in New York. Uh, it is the second Wednesday of every month at Judson Memorial church at 8 PM. It's free. Just want to make sure I get all that, uh, plug information in before <laughs> I start rambling, which I'm prone to doing. Um, so it's a, uh, it's a monthly show where, uh, artists and writers and, um, you know, we have visual artists, we have playwrights, comedians, like just sort of capital C creatives of all stripes. Uh, bring in work that they have had to cut or abandon or is otherwise just like laying dead in their computers or in the back of their minds. It's uh, based on the saying, kill your darlings 
which um, is used primarily for writers, but for most uh, artists in, to describe the process of editing a larger piece down to something uh, lean and manageable. And uh, in the process of, you know, cutting something down, you usually have to get rid of a lot of things that you really like. Um, God, I killed so many darlings yesterday uh, b uh, during the process of that play reading. Um, we just were cutting speeches and pages and, you know, these, and it can be very, uh, it can be very sad when you have to get yeah. rid of, um, get rid of these things. And so it's nice to have, um, and you know, every time we cut something, we all just say to each other, dead darlings, dead darlings, because we know that there's this forum, um, where if, you know, this scene didn't work in this play, but we still really like it and it's still fun and it still says something that we want to say. And so to know that there's this forum that we could bring it back to, um, someday that is is very comforting it's almost like it's almost like finding out there's a heaven for sure <laughs> <laughs> it's the first time I've ever said that and I think I'm going to make that the new tagline for the show uh <laughs> but it's been uh so we've been doing the show for um almost four years now and uh we've had some really really fantastic guests I've been so so lucky people have brought in such wonderful uh, wonderful things. And, um, it's very exciting because dead darlings is the only place where you'll see, uh, this work, you know, from these people. And it's, uh, it's great. And the audience is terrific. They come, they come hoping for the, the sort of vulnerability that it takes to share something that's failed or didn't work. They come very open and receptive and, and warm and, uh, and supportive. And, uh, so there's this sort of magic that happens, uh, between probably the most vulnerable performers in town and the most supportive audience in town. Uh, it's very rare, uh, especially in New York where everyone is just trying to cut a bitch to get to the next level of their <laughs> career and where hecklers can be very uh, just awful. And, you know, people are very used to the idea of whether it's real sometimes or not, the idea that audiences are critical and, uh, and, you know, looking for something to, to dislike <laughs> about what they're about to see, which can be very true. Um, but so it's it it kind of flips the tables um, for both audience and performer. Um, so it's it's great fun, and I I like to think that there isn't anything like it. Um, certainly in New York City. Uh, so yeah, I'm really proud of it, and uh, it's it's fun. Yeah, I loved hearing about the show, and I have secret or selfish hopes that you'll like turn it into a podcast or something, so that more of us can enjoy it as well. Um, there are, there may be some, uh, you know, we may be in talks. There ooh. may be some talks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we're trying to uh, to grow it at least uh, either to something that I can still manage or that I will have help managing. I'm I'm hoping for the help because, as I mentioned earlier, I I spend so much time cleaning already. <laughs> I just need help. <laughs> so when I heard about the show, I was curious whether it has taught you anything about the creative process, like about your own creative process or about the kind of the idea of creativity and editing more generally hearing all of these works that people have cut or abandoned? Absolutely. I mean, it actually, I had the idea um, for the show because I was writing a play and uh, I just had to keep cutting and cutting. And I was like, you know, I, I am not even that prolific a writer. I can't even imagine what, you know, uh, someone like Stephen Sondheim has cut or, you know, what does Tony Kushner cut? I mean, his stuff is very long, so, but still I'm sure he cuts a lot. And, and I was like, God, I mean, think of all the work that is just sitting there um, that no one's ever seen or heard. And the more, you know, we're all, I don't know. I mean, I should only speak for myself, but I, I also am, very good friends with a lot of artists and we all kind of share this uh, proclivity to be very, um, very critical of ourselves, very self-censoring. There are some, there are many, you know, writers and artists who are less neurotic than I guess myself and my clutch of friends who, uh, these are people I admire very much who will just throw anything at the wall and see if it sticks. They will just 
write something and put it up um, and not worry about whether it's perfect. They won't obsess over it. They won't agonize over it. They'll be like, yeah, this is good for today. This is good for today. And um, I'm terrible at that. I have such perfectionist tendencies um, to the point where, uh, you know how, you know how at the, I don't know about you, but I'm obsessed with hoarders, um, like the show and just actual hoarders, the, the concept of hoarding mm-hmm. and how at the root of hoarding is usually someone who is a perfectionist. Uh, and so they see the idea of organizing their home uh, or, or even just cleaning a room, they see it as this project that will take years and years to get it perfect so they never start it. And so they just live in this pile of trash because they, they are such perfectionists that they can't even start a project. I have a tendency to be that way. I have a tendency to be like a creative hoarder. Like I just hoard and hoard and hoard ideas and thoughts and, you know, but I, I'm such a perfectionist that it's really hard for me to get my wheels moving. And I always think to myself, like, I'm the only person who is like this. I'm the only person who uh, doesn't write something perfectly from beginning to end (laughs) and doesn't, you know, like without any waste, without any, um, like without having to belabor it, without having to work and rework and rewrite and rewrite. And this is, of course, false. I mean, writing is rewriting. It's an old axiom. Uh, And, and the I, the pressure to have everything be perfect perfectly formed in my head before i even write it down and then you know once i write it down to have it be perfectly formed it's completely ridiculous and it's something that this show has really helped me um to work through uh seeing the examples of things that these brilliant people have cut uh and and just some of them i'm just amazed like how how different their cut material can be from the material that ends up in the finished product. Um, some of them I'm amazed at how brilliant all of it is and like, how do they even decide yeah. uh, to use? And then frankly, some people I've been like, wow, you know, that is really terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and they know it's terrible and they bring it in. They're like, this is terrible. And you're like, yeah, that's, it, it really is. But it's inspiring to me and to the audience and then also to the, the artist who brings it in. It's inspiring to just be reminded that like this is a like the art, of, the, the act of creating work is a very long process. And um, it, it really and it can be excruciatingly long uh, and it's a slog and we all just need to like stay in it. And uh, and so the many, many times that, I mean, every month I would say that there's these artists inspire me to, um, be more productive and to keep going. Uh, just knowing that it's all, you know, we're all just pushing a rock uphill. (laughs) It's this, it's this, it's hard for everybody. It's hard for everybody, which is a hard thing, especially for writers because writing can be such a, um, such a lonely and sort of isolated, uh, process. Uh, you really do start to think that you're the only person in the world that has problems yeah. <laughs> and uh, to to be um, in an environment like that where uh, to be, just be reminded that everybody's got a really long process uh, and everybody produces some real shit every once in a while and that that's fine and you have to get it out so that you can keep going. It's helped me as a writer tremendously um, and also it's helped me as just in terms of uh, I had never hosted a show before and that is uh, an art form in and of itself I have learned um, and that is something that you only get good at by doing it doing it over and over and over and over and like the first I would say the whole first year that I hosted this show I was horrible I was awful like thinking back on some of the stuff that I did and said and the way that I you know, structured the show the way that I, uh, like this sort of comedy that I did and, um, the, just the sort of rhythm of it. I was so nervous, uh, doing this new thing and I had to fail a lot too, um, Mm. in learning how to do it. And now it's, I'm so much more comfortable, uh, being on stage just as myself and, uh, and hosting a show. Um, and 
really hosting anything. Like I'll do your wedding, uh, do your bat mitzvah. Have you had your baby shower yet, Sarah? I'm happy to host that. <laughs> Amazing. Come on over. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I felt like that, like with podcasting and interviewing more generally, like I was so bad at it at the beginning. I just like question, answer, question, answer. But I just hadn't even thought, I was like, I'm going to start a podcast, not thinking. And I'm glad that I didn't because I wouldn't have done it otherwise. But like not thinking there's this whole skill set that I had to learn and fumble my way through to. See, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, uh, sometimes it's better to just not not know how hard something's going to be when you start doing it. <laughs> Yeah, and how, like, kind of awkward you're going to look in the process publicly. Yeah. And to not obsess about, like, for me, it's really hard to not obsess about, like, uh, oh, God, what if somebody goes back and watches that old thing that I did? Oh, I was so terrible, and um, I'm too embarrassed to even do anything new because I'm awful because this one thing that I did once is awful when I was learning how to do something. You know, I think about old shows that I've done, old old, like, comedy bits that I've done or whatever. And I just cringe because they're so bad, but like, and it's, it's hard not to obsess about that. Um, in the age that we live in where everything is documented and everything is available on the internet. And, you know, you could watch a video of, and I'm not going to tell you where to find it, but you could watch a video of me like talking out of my ass, like a complete fucking idiot, uh, that I'm very embarrassed about that's on the internet. And I, I but, I, but, so the concept of being able to sort of develop as a, um, as a performer and especially as a comedian, as an artist, as a creator, uh, it is a process. And yet, you know, these days, because every step of your document, uh, every step of your process is so heavily documented online, um, it can be daunting, you know, to, you feel like you want to wave your hands in the air and be like, look, I'm just learning how to do this. And this is how I learn. There's no other way to learn how to do this. Yeah. So please don't judge this early stuff you know there's this especially with the internet there's so much pressure for everything to be even more perfect uh all the time because it's you think it's just going to live in perpetuity but the cool news is that um with our new president here in the united states um we're about to lose net neutrality and i think a fair amount of the internet's going to get shut down so maybe you won't be able to see uh that video anymore which will be great um just making America Silver great again. Linings. Yeah, no, I, I'm really, that's probably the thing I'm most excited about with our new president. Yeah. Well, and I think I can't, we, even, I can't even use that word seriously. No, I know. I it doesn't, because I don't, first of all, rec, you know, there's all this hashtag not my president going on here. I don't know if you know all the things that are going on, but like hashtag not my president is a big thing. It's a sign people carry. And on the one hand, it's ridiculous to say that, because unfortunately this person is all of our president. But on the other hand, it's not because like literally I do not see this person as an elected president. I do not like a president is elected. I do not see this person as having been elected. And it, so I see this person as an installed autocrat. Yeah. And so, and, and absolutely nothing about what this person is doing resembles any sort of, um, any sort of previous, template for what we used to how the way that we define the word president and so I cannot even use that word I, I absolutely cannot use that word and then his last name together I can't do it no I totally get that and I felt really conflicted seeing people say not my president because obviously like part of me wants to be like well just like face the re like let's work from the reality yeah. of the situation but I also yeah. totally understand what you're saying about the validity of his election and um like my dad's so funny he was like getting into a Facebook argument with his friend because he'd posted this anti-Trump article and then his friend was being like well all of you like really liberal people just want to uh like deny that he was even elected and like he's only been in office for you know not even 100 days and you've got to like give him a chance and give him a chance yeah. yeah yeah and it's just like to me it's just like that's just absurd like it's just putting your head in the sand and, and yeah. denying that all of these highly suspect things and totally without precedent and to my knowledge all of these things are happening and it's not just liberals who who are horrified either. no it's a lot of people like they and the the articles just come are just streaming out every day like there was one in the times yesterday about um you know low income white people who voted for Trump and like how all the different programs that um are being are in you know proposed to be cut and they're 
quote unquote budget proposal, it, the, uh, you know, all these people are kind of like, wait a minute, what's going on? Like, we didn't think that this would happen. And I mean, the, the undercurrent of everything that these people are saying is basically like, wait a minute, but we're white. This isn't supposed to happen to us. We didn't think this would happen to us. And, and yet there it is. It's like people who are dependent on, um, you know, things like the heating subsidy for uh, low income people to literally stay alive in the winter. People who are dependent on, you know, government programs that uh, fund their schooling and uh, subsidize their jobs and like help them. It, and the the impact of this is starting to roll out, not nearly enough, I don't think yet, to the people who are going to be destroyed by these policies and yet voted for them. These were all Trump voters that they were interviewing. And in a way, it's like, I don't wish ill upon anybody. I don't wish illness or homelessness or like, literally freezing to death in the winter on anybody because they made, you know, because they were manipulated into making a self-defeating idiotic choice. But on the other hand, it's like, well, you know, maybe once these people feel the consequences of their knee-jerk racist vote, maybe this is what it's going to take to wake them up to the downright, like, evil, like cartoon villain evil of the Republican Party and their agenda. Um, it's, I'm honestly, this is, I mean, it's all of us sort of uh, custard hearted liberals are, are, of course, arguing amongst ourselves on social media about which is what we do best um, yeah. about this dilemma of like, on the one hand, we don't want anyone to um, suffer. But on the other hand, like maybe as soon as these people start suffering and realizing that this party has no agenda other than tax breaks for billionaires and deregulation of industry for billionaires, <laughs> like it until they realize this um, in a very tangible way that that you know that can't can no longer be blamed on anyone else, can no longer be blamed on Obama. It can't be blamed on, you know, people of color moving, you know, immigrants moving into your little white town and taking your jobs. Like once it's very clear that like all these scapegoats that they've used for years and years are not at the heart of their destruction, but like this direct path that is being burned toward them right now by the Republican party, like until they're fully cognizant of this, until it, it, hits them in a palpable real way, then nothing's ever going to change. You know, they're just going to keep voting for anyone who tells them that like, you know, Muslims are, they're the greatest evil uh, in the United States or the world really. Muslims and, you know, women getting abortions are the reason that they can't heat their houses. Right. And I mean, yeah, not that I would wish hardship on anyone either, but, and I, I guess I'm skeptical that like what will it take to wake people up like or will they find a way to continue using their dogma to Oh, I mean, look, they're of course they're going to can find a way to continue. You know, so many people people in this country are are they <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so upset. Like I don't even know what people in this country are very um stubborn and and especially the the poorly educated and the uh, economically disadvantaged and vulnerable, um, they're they they are very stubborn and they are very angry and they absolutely don't want to think of their life circumstances as being their own fault. Right. And in many ways, they are not their own fault. In, you know, in many cases, there are very uh, deeply entrenched economic inequalities in this country that are, you know, of course, to anyone who is objectively paying attention, they are the direct result of, like, the vast inequality of wealth and the, the government policies that reinforce and perpetuate and and increase that inequality um but these people are 
a lot of it has to do with the kind of mindset that um, that believes in a higher power uh, and ascribes power to uh, a, a big daddy boss. Um, and that mindset is shared by a, a very large percentage of people in this country. And people who espouse those beliefs and have that mindset that there is a big daddy uh, controlling everything and that there should be a big daddy controlling everything um, are not terribly, um, they're not terribly uh, prone to self-examination or, uh, I'm sorry, I'm uh, <laughs> having trouble with, I'm so upset. Um, and, I, and I'm trying not to say something uh, that sounds really shitty. Um, but basically there's a stubbornness that comes with a, a belief in a higher power and not wanting that belief questioned and not wanting any beliefs questioned, uh, the desire to, you know, not necessarily think critically, but just to sort of embrace beliefs that are that are handed down and um and i think a lot of those people have ascribed higher power to this person who is in office and uh the idea of having that power questioned or having you know they the people really do see that horrible man as a god um they really do see that person as like a godlike figure and as with anyone who uh who believes that way about any higher power to have that belief questioned um, is very traumatic and uh, requires uh, an inward look at some really harsh realities that I think most of the people who voted for this man um, are like incapable. Uh, they're incapable of taking that look. Um, does any of this make any sense? No, absolutely. Um... So I don't, I don't think, there's going to be any kind of like large ground swell. You know, in fact, a lot of people who are going to die as a result of this regime, they are going to die. And, uh, you know, they'll probably ascribe that to a higher power as well, you know? Mm. And there's a, there's a fear of there. I think there's a fear of there not really being anyone benevolent in charge of anything. And yet here we are. Yeah, they'll either uh, ascribe it to a, a higher power or I think just remain blissfully ignorant. Um, oh, yeah. And that's the other thing. It's like people like us who, you know, I read five newspapers before I even feed my dog in the morning and I'm, you know, reading think pieces and doing interviews and, you know, talking with other, you know, liberal intelligentsia uh, all day long. Um, we forget that most people in this country don't read a newspaper. Right. You know, they just don't like most of the people who are about to get fucked from all sides by uh, this administration are not they don't know what's going on at all. They're not paying attention at all. They watch, you know, television, uh, they watch reality TV and they um, they just hang out and life just sort of happens to them. Uh, and they don't think of politics as something that actually affects their lives. Uh, so they don't follow it. They don't pay attention. Um, and frankly, there are a lot of, uh, you know, on the flip side, there are a lot of liberal people who uh, fell into that habit in the last eight years. You know, we were very seduced into the idea that everything was just fine now. Um, we didn't have to be as quite politically aware as we were uh, during the Bush years. We were lulled into a kind of uh, complacency uh, politically. And that's also part of how we ended up where we are uh so you know i like to think i mean i know that this has definitely been a wake-up call for liberals um and even for centrists uh in this country um we have to hope that it's been a wake-up call for some conservatives as well uh and that and that the 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 renewed political engagement that has been a result of this election uh, is sustainable and um, productive and that it ultimately results in some 
very real and frankly, very overdue changes being made in this country that complacency on both sides has, uh, has led to. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess looking at a little bit more about the, the kind of resistance that's possible, um, you know, obviously you're very vocal, um, and you helped to co-create the Pussy Grabs Back meme and hashtag and kind of sparked a lot of dialogue there. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about like, what does your activism look like or what kind of tangible ways do you feel like people can be, can be standing up and resisting right now? Um, that's a really good question. I feel like, um, there are, <laughs> the funny thing is that speaking of liberal infighting, uh, I think we're finally getting to a point where, um, the dust, the orange Cheeto dust is settling a little bit. And, uh, we, are I think working out the um, you know the sort of constant fight among liberals of like what's the best way to attack this? What is the best way to approach this? What's the you know one magical key of activism? The one thing that we should all do together at the same time that will uh, bring this down? You know like we're uh, we're all a bunch of X wings trying to find that hole in the death star and uh look i'm not i'm i'm not a star wars nerd i shouldn't have started this analogy but you know how luke skywalker puts the thing <laughs> the car blows up. so like that there's only one way to do that and uh and everybody was sort of fighting about you know what is it what is it and of course um we're realizing that that is not how activism works mm-hmm. um there's no one approach that we all need to. There's this idea that liberals need to fall in line and like present a united front and everybody needs to behave the same way and talk the same way and be, uh, you know, politically active in the same way. We were all fighting about that for months. Um, it seems like that has finally subsided. Um, and at least in my group of, uh, you know, activist friends, et cetera, and people are starting to get more organized. Um, personally, uh, I've done a lot of just straight up street protesting. I figure as long as we can do it and not get uh, arrested and charged with a felony, which is uh, on the table. So street protests, um, which we're all doing as much as possible, especially here in New York City. There are so many protests. Um, it seems like there's something, there's at least one a week that's like of significance. And we're all uh, connected on social media um, we all have, you know, we get announcements and invitations and they spread around, uh, fairly well, um, where these protests are and, you know, what to do and what to bring. Um, I'm personally, uh, I've just started getting involved with a group called Rise and Resist, um, that was started by, uh, some of the former ACT UP or former and present ACT UP activists. Uh, I personally think that ACT UP is the most uh, effective uh, political resistance group in the last, in recent history. I mean, it's certainly like the last 50 years. Um, And so those are definitely people that I want to align myself with. And, uh, and it's their lead that I want to follow. I think, you know, there are different, it's different depending on, where you live and who you are, you know, for some people, it was a profound act of resistance just to knit a pink hat and wear it in public. Um, you know, the, the pink pussy hats that everyone wore to the women's March, like just to step out in some communities wearing that hat is a huge activist act. It's huge. Um, I don't, I don't know uh, if during the election, uh, you know, at, in Britain, if you guys knew about uh, Pantsuit Nation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just, you know, so there were people saying things, you know, we forget what it's like in these cities where there are these diverse, wildly diverse uh, points of view being thrown around all the time and wildly diverse people living wildly diverse lives. Like there were people on Pantsuit Nation uh, who were like, I live in a 100% Trump town. Like everyone I know is a Trump voter. Everyone I know is um, lined up with this fucking shit. And like, I'm not. And I'm terrified to even like speak up. I'm terrified to even put a Hillary poster on my lawn. Um, I'm terrified to 
you know, just be openly against Donald Trump, it's terrifying. And so for many people, just putting a sign in their lawn was a, a massive act of resistance. Um, and I think that on all levels, in all places, um, just being open about your beliefs, being as available and supportive as possible to people who are vulnerable under this administration, um, that these are all increasingly radical acts. Um, so depending on where you are, what your resources are, um, it, there's, there is activism to be done daily uh, in small and large ways. I mean, I personally would really like to, um, let's say, like get myself eight and a half months. Oh, I, I won't even say this because you're pregnant. It's horrible. I'm sorry. It's because I think gross just cut it. <laughs> I no, go. Basically, I'm going to say I'd love to get good and eight and a half months pregnant um, and like have a partial birth abortion on the lawn of the White House, you know, like I, because it's such an insane, it's such an insane idea that that's something that women would actually electively do just for kicks, you know, and it was sold so enthusiastically and just gobbled up by their base, this idea that women and, you know, and Hillary Clinton as someone who's supporting the right to choose, um, that we all have this dream of, you know, just getting eight and a half months, nine, almost nine months pregnant, and then just cutting that baby's head off. Like that, that's what we really want to do. Yeah. It's um, such like, a fun and, nine month journey to go on. Oh, absolutely. It's a fun nine month journey to go on. And, but you know, the rewards of actually just killing a baby, an actual baby are so great. Um, it's really worth all the work, you know? Um, so like there, I would love to throw my menstrual broad on the side of the White House. I would love, you know, until, there's different acts of activism and resistance. <laughs> <laughs> I guess depending on how disgusting you are, uh, they're different for everybody. <laughs> well, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about like the the sense of things from over here in the UK and obviously I can, yeah, only, yeah. I can only speak for myself. Um, and, and there's a, like difficult, like I think the Trump presidency uh, is indicative of larger political currents going on uh, in Europe as well. Yes. Um, for sure. And so it's not like with Theresa May and Brexit over here that things are great, but I right. think people are still horrified and, and, um, shocked and and for me personally like being Canadian and in the UK like I feel quite impotent I think like I have lots of American friends and I can see the things that they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis whether it's cause calling their public representatives or being um you know very active in their communities and it's, so it's been I think um a call to arms to me to really look at my own life and and see am I living as integrity as in integrity with my beliefs and values as I can but on a larger um, political scale, uh, yeah, just it can be confusing, I guess, to know how to be active from afar. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, and what's you know, it's we feel that way too here. Yeah, you know, even though we're in this physically in this country that is being, um, you know, completely railroaded, uh, it's uh, it's we kind of feel the same way. Like we feel so powerless and isolated and kind of, um, you know, uh, just nonplussed as to what to do. We're this, for so many of us, this is an unprecedented situation in our lives. I mean, of course it's not historically unprecedented. Unfortunately, there are enough intelligent people who are paying attention to the, um, historical precedents for what we're experiencing here. Uh, to sort of be on that and uh, and keep us focused on uh, you know the patterns of autocracy and dictatorship and uh, fascism yeah uh, and to to sort of alert us as to what's coming down the pike I hopefully so that we you know 
can at least try to anticipate some of this stuff. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed that I forgot to uh, mention when you asked um, uh, about activism to mention calling representatives, because that's something that we can all do. And that's something we're all doing. That's something that uh, every I and everyone I know are doing. And it's something that everyone can do and that everyone should be doing every single day. Uh, my friend Oliver has this, um, has this, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like a meme or a movement or something. It's called five calls, just five calls a day. Five calls. Yeah. Just make five calls a day. You know, and there are plenty of things to make calls about. Um, and it's especially important for people who, you know, people who are afraid to leave the house in their pink hats because they live in these deep red states and these deep red communities. It's especially important that those people uh, use their voice and call their representatives because if they're in these red districts uh, with, Republican representatives, like those are the people that need to hear, to hear the most pushback. Like, you know, out here we've got, I mean, certainly we have our own issues with our um, democratic leaders out here in New York and we're putting a lot of pressure on them. Um, but, you know, generally we can assume that Kristen Gillibrand isn't going to vote for, you know, the horrible healthcare reform bill. Like, it, you know, but in, in these deeper red areas these these representatives need to feel the pressure of their constituents and they need to basically fear that they won't be reelected um because that's the only thing that people uh that the representatives care about <laughs> so so that is a very valuable thing that um that people who live in uh in these red districts and are feeling very isolated can do um but yeah i can't uh it's a very scary time that we're living in. We're seeing this uh, this nationalistic far right wave um, going through Europe, going through America. It's uh, and it's it's either going to go one or one of two ways. It's either a uh, you know the tide to which the you know the tide in which the uh, the world is going to turn for uh, a significant period of time, or it is a um, sort of last gasp attempt to resist uh, globalism, which is inevitable. Um, it's truly inevitable to resist uh, immigration, which is inevitable to resist um, the empowerment of women, which is inevitable. It's, um, you know, all of these trains are very, are steaming along on their tracks. And, uh, I think it's going to take more than, uh, I hope it's going to take more than race baiting to, um, stop them. Yeah. And if, and frankly, if it doesn't, if we as a species are so simplistic that, um, that race baiting is, uh, is, is effective enough. Uh, on our psyches to um, derail our capacity to sustain communities and to uh, live harmoniously. If race baiting is that effective, um, then I I feel like our species deserves the um, the fiery end to which it is then uh, inevitably headed. So there are about a million other things that I could uh, would love to ask you about and talk about and. Um... Oh my God, is it been, are we done? Oh my God. <laughs> Just being mindful of time. I have two questions that I love to wrap up with every um, guest with because, you know, so that we don't end on our fiery doomsday. Um, sure. <laughs> the first one is um, when it comes to your own personal development, what are you working on learning or implementing right now? Wow. Um, I am working on, I mean, this is constant. I'm working on being, uh, having more structure and discipline in my life. Um, as a, especially as a woman in my early forties, uh, who does not have kids. Um, uh, I find that kids for a lot of my friends, kids really structure their lives. Right. <laughs> um, and, and, uh, I mean, my dog and my cat definitely structure my life, but it's not the same. And, uh, and I don't have a tendency toward, um, discipline left to my own devices. Uh, and I'm coming into a, uh, a stage in my life and my career in which it's becoming essential, um, so I'm taking baby steps to, uh, become more disciplined and organized and use my time more effectively. 
Uh, I've never had this many opportunities thrown at me before. Uh, and I want to be able to take advantage of all of them. And I can only do that if I have a much more, uh, if I'm much more disciplined in my use of my time. Um, that said, the other thing that I'm working on is, uh, relaxing more efficiently <laughs> if that makes sense real efficient relaxation um but like and this sounds so gross but, uh this term that everybody's been using for that around here which is like self-care self-care oh self-care is so important and I mean it just sounds it's such a stupid term and I hate it but it actually is true like we're all being um just we just have this barrage of horror coming at us every day all day. It's like, it's, it's literally terrorism, what this um, administration is uh, raining upon us. And uh, I, I have had to uh, scale back my intake. I turned off the uh, alerts, news alerts on my phone. Um, I've had to be more uh, mindful and, um, and regimented about turning it off for periods of time so that I can recharge so that I, so that I can not only be more effective, um, as an activist, but also so that I can, uh, so that, so that I'm not a victim of terrorism so that, that this, so that I still have a life outside of resisting this government, you know, like yeah. that, because definitely win if, if they control our thoughts every minute of every day, if they are the main thing on our mind every minute of every day, then uh, then they win. I mean, that's what the the whole fight is for. So uh, so I'm really trying to make sure that I don't lose out on um, some really great years of my life uh, because I'm just um, thinking about this horrible, disgusting orange thing mm -hmm. all the time. So. Uh, so those, I guess, are my two uh, projects right now and, and also um, spending as much time with my sweet dog as I can yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and trying to take care of her as well as I can because uh, it's a very, um, it's actually a really, uh, a lot, it's, it's hard to believe a lot of people get rid of their dogs. A lot of people put their dogs down um, when they get to be this age and they're, you know, uh, peeing in the house and like they're sort of, she has dementia. She kind of runs into walls sometimes and stuff and people put their dogs down because they don't want to deal with it or because it's too hard or whatever. But there's actually, um, I've, I'm finding enormous meaning in, uh, this being able to give to my dog, uh, in this way, in this stage of her life after she's given so much to me, um, for, I mean, she's 17 years old. Wow. Uh, so uh, I'm I'm learning a lot uh, about myself um, by uh, by taking just actively taking care of this animal um, who is at this stage of life. Okay. I'm ending you like we don't want to end on the world being in a fireball. How about we end on like my. Dog. We'll have one has... more question, and you can answer it with a you can answer it with a heartbreaker if you want to, or you can be super, super silly and frivolous, whatever you want. Um, what's one thing you're obsessed with right now that's making your life better? Oh my god! Um, um, oh god, there are so many, and so I'm trying to think of the best one to say. Oh, I just I just finally ended my obsession with um, Girl Scout cookies, Ooh. which I had never had before this year. Um, and so this year I was like, I'm going to try all of them. <laughs> and, and I went back home for uh, uh, a funeral. There you go. There's the happy ending. But I went home for a funeral. And uh, so all my friends with kids were there and they were all selling uh, Girl Scout cookies. And I was like, give me like three of each, three boxes of each. And I'm going to try them all. <laughs> and I worked my way through all of them. And I have definite opinions and I could rank them. If, if you know, on another podcast, if you want my ranking of the different kinds of Girl Scout cookies, I'm happy to provide it. I think Samoas are at the top. That's a spoiler alert. Samoas are at the top. And then like uh, the lemonades, I think are, are a close second. But um, so I worked my way through Girl Scout cookies. I'm now on the other side of Girl Scout cookies. I don't want to see them again. I understand now why they're seasonal. I don't want to see them again until next year, at least. Um, <laughs> I, I completely overdosed. Um, so I would say my obsession 
I mean, I have constant ongoing obsessions. I'm obsessed with um, high-end cosmetics. I'm obsessed with um, vintage uh, clothes on eBay. Um, I'm obsessed with, uh, I'm watching Big Little Lies. I'm obsessed with that. I'm obsessed with um, all the food programs on Netflix, um, Chef's Table, Mind of a Chef, Cooked. Um, I'm obsessed with uh, the Great British Baking Show, and I wish we had another hour to talk about this. Yeah, I know. With, like, the staffing changes and everything that's happening over there, the Great British Baking Show was the best thing about my life for, like, years. Um, And it was the most, like, soothing, comforting thing. And the fact that it is also being taken away in the midst of all of this is, like, just a nail in the skull it is, it's horrible and unconscionable. I hate Paul Hollywood. I blame him for all of it. I don't know enough about it, but to even, you know, make that executive decision, but I'm going to, like, I hate Paul Hollywood. I blame him for destroying the great British baking show. Um, so I guess my next obsession is going to be like, uh, the new, you know, they just announced the new hosts Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm, my next obsession is going to be, I think, hating them for not being, uh, Mel and Sue. Yeah, that seems fair. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. The heartbreak has spread all the way across the pond. Um, oh, speaking of like national tragedies that we're feeling in each other's countries. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Feeling your pain out here. And can you tell us as a resident of that country, is there any, do you have any advice for activism? from outside <laughs> of pond? Well, I don't think we're going to get Mary Berry back. Oh, God. It's just heartbreaking. I mean, there was such magic. It was such magic. Uh, those people together. And, and I never liked Paul Hollywood, but I recognized that, like, as part of that yeah, equation, exactly. he was sort of essential. And now he's worthless. He is useless to me. I don't ever want to see his fat face again. But, like, the, the fact that he broke that magic, that magic combination of those four people, and, like, it'll just, it, we'll never get it back, you yeah. know? I hope Mel and Sue go on to do something else together that's fun and that we'll get it over here. Um, and Mel and Sue, if you're listening to this, just thank you. Thank you so much <laughs> from, from from this side of the pond. Um, thank you, Mary Berry. Um, even when you guys would say, break, in this really <laughs> cringe every time, but I secretly loved it every time. So thank you so much. <laughs> and so as we wrap up what's the best way for people to support your work and everything you're doing oh just send money send money any way you want no I'm just kidding I mean you can send me money you can PayPal or Venmo me money if you want to but um, the best way to see me is to uh, follow me on Twitter at Duarte Amanda you can follow me on Facebook I'm uh, the Amanda Duarte with the really gorgeous profile picture that's me and uh, you can, what else? Uh, I have a website for my show, deaddarlingsshow.com. Check that every once in a while. We update it with, um, you know, the, the show of the month. And uh, and what else? I, oh, and you can listen to uh, my podcast with Aaron Gloria Ryan and Brianna Haney. It's called Girl Friday. Um, you can get it on iTunes. It's really fun. We barely even talked about it, but um, it's, uh, it is a... Uh, a podcast about women in media and we interview a lot of different women in media or media adjacent just about sort of the, uh, the news of the day. Um, and it's, uh, it's really great and I'm really proud of it and we would love to have, um, some more listeners. So, uh, so tune in to girl Friday and then rate us on iTunes. We always have to say that at the end yeah. of every <laughs> women to be like rate us but uh but it does make a difference so you know listen to it and rate us preferably on our appearances on a scale of one to two <laughs> like our president please this is the age we live in now please rate us oh thank you so much amanda this has been so much fun thank you sarah i agree it has been a wonderful time i really appreciate you having me and hello to everyone in uh europe generally and please um let's let's just stop voting for these right-wing people please <laughs> please let's all just stop let's all go to france i mean i think it's a lost cause in france but uh but just in case maybe we'll we should all just go to paris together and and uh you know hold signs <laughs> you can find the show notes for this episode at sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 79
And if you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend who you think might like it also, or send them a link to your favorite episode if you have one. And I hope you'll help us keep this conversation going by joining us in the private Facebook group, Girl Gang HQ. Next week's interview is with Sarah Pack. Sarah is a writer, teacher, and connector. She writes a popular newsletter about personal development, behavior change, and leadership. She's currently writing a book called Startup Pregnancy about how working in tech while pregnant opened her eyes to new ways of doing work. Sarah and I had a conversation that left me absolutely buzzing. We share some real talk about pregnancy and early motherhood. We also chat about the need for multiple ways of showing up to work and life rather than pushing all the time. The need to be more intentional and precise with our language and commitments and grieving even positive life changes. Until then, grab your girl gang and have a conversation that matters.